spend the next 60 minutes with us solving all the problems to life's questions, <laughs> right? And uh, I'm here with my buddy, Blake. Blake, won't you give him a shout out? How are you guys doing tonight? Wow, I am sorry, because yeah. I'm naturally loud anyway. Yes, you are. I am. It's okay. Well, hey, um, we're just going to dive in. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Before I pray, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, just, just give a shout-out, give a shout-out of, of thanks. Um, it is Memorial Day weekend, and, uh, man, we're just so grateful uh, for those who, who are serving in the military. I don't know if anyone's here that's currently active, and then those who have served in the military and then obviously those who um, have fallen and uh, who have gone before us and given their, their lives so that we could even get together today. And so, uh, man, thank you to whoever that uh, goes out to. And uh, we just really appreciate um, just those who have gone before us in our nation and uh, who have done a great job of, of laying it on the line so that we could get here and get into God's word and, and, uh, and experience what he has for us. Uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that the sun is shining, that spring is in the air, and that you've given us the opportunity to come in here and open up your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to us now. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to gather as a body of believers, and I pray that you would allow us to uh, just have unity. God, that you allow us to have a great time tonight. And God, I pray that you would help us to just be glad that we came to the house of the Lord. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it can give us the wisdom by which we can live our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, um, Blake, why don't you tell us real quick where Pastor Phil is, and, uh, and then I'm going to kind of uh, get ready to give us a little bit of summary, and we'll, we'll dive in. Awesome. So be praying for our pastor. A team um, from our church went to Lebanon, and they are working among Syrian refugee kids. So if you can just imagine what these kids have gone through. Um, our church has an opportunity to give them four days of peace and four days where they know food's coming every day. So it's a huge opportunity um, to be showing the love of Christ to these people. So Phil will be joining that team as long as with our global outreach pastor, Bill Gibbs, just going to see the need. Um, I mean, this, the news doesn't cover it as much as it needs to happen, but this, will, this time period will define just like what the Holocaust did for the 40s, what's going on in Syria is going to be defining this time period. And then after that, um, Phil and Bill will be going to South Sudan, the newest and poorest country in the world, and just seeing the devastation and the opportunity that God has there. And then from there, um, Bill will be going with our own missionary, Phil Long, to Madagascar to start researching that so him and his wife will move there next year and hit the ground running. Great. So y'all be praying for Pastor Phil and his family. And also, if you don't know this, Pastor Phil married his only daughter, McKay, off this weekend. And so, man, I just think it's so awesome that Phil is, um, that he, he's choosing to, to lick his wounds, so to speak, by going and getting on the mission field, you know, and just getting his <laughs> mind away from everything. And so, man, I have uh, had the greatest privilege to serve under Pastor Phil. And I know you guys are so uh, proud of him and so grateful that he is your pastor. My wife and I were talking today uh, just about the series in Revelation, and, and she was commenting. She's like, man, I, I just, you know, he just has such a great job of taking um, all that content, putting it in a systematic flow so that it is palatable and is understandable. And, uh, and she's just like, man, it's just so rich with history and so rich with scripture. And I was like, man, I know. 
He does such a great job. And so, man, we are honored. If you've never listened to many other preachers or you've never been in any other churches, um, you know, I don't want to tell you to go to another church, but it'll give you perspective on the great church that we have here at Abundant Life and the great pastor that we get to serve, uh, excuse me, get to uh, listen and learn underneath. And so um, I'm going to give you all just a quick overview. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Revelation. If you're new to God's Word and you just kind of got drug in here this afternoon, Revelation is easily the last book in your Bible. And so you can just head towards the end. If you're on a, a techno Bible, you can scroll all the way down to the bottom of the list. Revelation chapter 13, as you're getting there, I'm just going to review a couple of things that took place this morning, and then we are going to dive into some questions. Uh, first of all, y'all remember the, um, <laughs> Pastor Phil, I told him that, man, Pastor Phil, you better look out, Vegas may get wind that you're such a great uh, magician, and uh, so are you sure of your calling? <laughs> David Copperfield is what I like to call him. Anyway, um, so he, he used this, this imagery of the, the pledge, the turn, and the prestige, the three parts of every magic trick to really set us up for what the Antichrist uh, will be and who is and that sort of thing. And so, I mean, I was, just, I was so glad that he was able to put that in layman's terms. And, and so he directed our attention to uh, Revelation 13, where we begin to see that Satan is going to counterfeit um, uh, Christ, and he's going to try to do a lot of the similar things that Christ will do. He'll barter uh, a peace treaty. He'll have political prowess. He'll have the ability to speak real well and all, all those sort of things that you heard this morning. And then uh, he'll, he'll make a turn. And remember, the turn was, was what? He gets a significant, y'all remember? Assassination, right? A blow to the head, right? And that, I think that's what the scripture says. He gets a wound to the head. And, uh, and then the prestige is, what, what was the prestige or the big miracle that takes place after the assassination? Yeah, uh, he came back. That's right. Came back. And Pastor Phil, uh, he likened this to Dolly the, the, the sheep, right? Isn't that her name? Yes. Dolly. I want to say Dolly the llama, but that's not right. <laughs> um, anyway, so Dolly the sheep. And uh, Pastor Phil, he, um, you know, he stipulated that, uh, that uh, Satan could embody a clone, which is not far-fetched. I mean, it's, it sounds kind of crazy sci-fi-ish, but when you do the science, you could see that it's not too far-fetched. And so he talked about how this would be the prestige, and it would be a critical moment where he resurrects, and, and no longer is he madly respected, um, and, and madly, you know, just kind of like, man, this guy is smart, he's a political leader, but now when he raises from the dead, now he's worshipped. And uh, he basically uh, usurps the place of Christ, um, this is right dab in the middle of the seven years that's taken place uh, where we have the abomination or the desolation of the temple um, where he kicks all the Jews out after um, he's built the temple back up uh, in Jerusalem and uh, he assumes a place um, of authority and of worship um, at that time and then it, it gets real bad for people um, at that time as well. Right in the middle there becomes a, a big massacre, another holocaust if you will. And so, and he just landed the plane, and we'll land the plane tonight, real, uh, or excuse me, yeah, this evening, real practically, but um, with this idea that, again, God has given us this scripture uh, not to intimidate us, not to scare us, but to woo us and to allow us to see into future events that are devastating, uh, but that it would give perspective on, on our lives today. And so, man, I love that Pastor Phil is able to take all of this stuff, package it together, and make it hit right home in our hearts week in and week out, because that's what it's all about, is understanding God's truth and how it applies to our lives today 
and uh, how it can make us more Christ-like. Anyway, so that's kind of a summary of what happened today. Uh, what we're going to do at this point is we're going to go ahead and open up to some questions. We have my man, your man, the man for the students. FSKO happened this week, Stephen Branch. Uh, you can't miss him. He's in his salmon shorts running around. And so Stephen is going to run the mic. So if you have a question, or Billy, you're going to have a mic as well. If y'all have questions, uh, you can just raise your hand and we'll get after it. Okay, we got one right up here. And uh, notice that my Bible is a lot bigger than Blake's. And so um, that doesn't mean that I'm better than Blake. That actually means that I'm worse than Blake. And so I need more help than he does. So uh, anyway. I was just wondering this morning uh, when he was talking about the clones, um, are those not made like um, from egg and sperm or are they made from laboratory? Because he said it doesn't have a soul, so it'd have to be different than the way humans are made. Yeah, so a clone, yeah, would not be an egg and a sperm because that would be the normal process. So I don't know all the, the scientific chat. I don't know if you do, but I went to Bible yeah, college, so, so yeah, science, I have wait, a biology bye -bye. degree, actually, Blake. There you go. So, Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Degree in biology. So, yeah, it, I would say that it is, um, it's more genetic mapping, and so they're able to replicate the genetic code. Um, and so they may not be, like, doing in vitro fertilization, but, but a similar process, how we do in vitro fertilization. We take a sperm and egg in a Petri dish, and then we freeze those eggs, and, and the people who are going through that in vitro process, they then implant those eggs in, the, in utero. Um, but I would, think, I would think that the same way that they're doing stem cell research um, with how they're taking those, um, those uh, fertilized eggs who have gone through mitosis, meiosis and then into mitosis, uh, they're able to then continue that process so that it forms um, a, a, a person. And so the things that I've seen of recent is that they're trying to replicate um, a, um, a womb, they're like, and they've done this before, and so they're replicating a womb, and then they would grow it in that. I think that's, that's one way that it can be done. And, and, and we would know it wouldn't be a sperm and an egg because then it wouldn't be an exact clone because a clone would be the exact DNA, yeah, the exact, exact everything. DNA copy. So that's the word icon that is used there. It's, it's the exact representation, not a twin. Or So it couldn't be because they wouldn't have, obviously, the sperm and an egg of their parent. And if it did, it would be a sibling and not a clone. There's, yeah, there's still a lot of questions on that, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. great question. I think it's more because it's DNA replication and not, uh, not uh, through um, uh, conception. Intercourse. Yeah, conception. Yeah. yeah. One moment. Wait for the wait for the mic because we're recording it. Here we go. <laughs> there you go. So, they really have not tried to make a human. It's illegal. That doesn't mean they ain't tried, though. And yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. As of now, yeah. we, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. A uh, question that I had is, for those of us who believe in the uh, pre-trib rapture of the church, what events, physical events, might we look at in the world that will need to occur before the pre-trib rapture? Honestly, nothing. Uh, if, as you look through scripture, Jesus says, be like a thief, it can happen at any moment. When you look at Matthew 24, all those events are to the second coming of the Lord. So really the rapture, and even Paul talked about this with the church, the rapture can happen at any moment. We don't, as the church, because we're a mystery, which means we weren't revealed in the Old Testament, we can be taken out at any moment. And a lot of people assume 
that the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation is the same thing, and it's not. We can be taken out, and it may be days, it may be months. What starts the seven-year period is when the Antichrist signs um, the peace treaty. So it may be months, it may be a year, it could be the next day. And so, I, I would point you towards the first sermon of the Revelation series. Um, if you're able to go back to our webpage, Pastor Phil did a nice job. He actually had this giant Jenga set. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a kid's game or an adult game. Um, anyway, and he just kind of pulled out different significant things that have taken place um, in history. And so one of the biggest ones is that Israel is, again, a nation. And, um, and so all the props and all the everything, all the players are set in stage. Everything's set in motion. And he, the way he did this, I don't know if y'all remember, but he pulled out the final block, and that was the rapture that would set all of these things in motion. So um, for sake of time, Phil spent about 35 minutes laying all that out and why that is, uh, why we can be ready, and, and that there's some things that have happened in our lifetime that should get us excited about that. Um, so AbundantLifeLS.com, you can go to our messages, and the, it's the first series or first sermon as a part of the series. And when we study prophecy, we have to realize that most of prophecy has, the, has Israel in view, not us. So you go Daniel, even Book of Revelation. So really, we're just in the way. So when, when God gets us out, that's when the time of the Gentiles ends. So when we try to predict times or, or see what signs happen... We have to realize that the early church and the Jews wouldn't have been thinking about the church because we weren't a thing. And so, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of signs that can go, this is when the tribulation must, or the rapture must happen. You can go, I believe there was a hand. Okay. All right. Um, I was thinking a little bit earlier, talking about the, the souls. Um, the clone, I don't think, I got to go back to just because my mind's wrapped around it, but um, the clone, if it's made... Uh, unlike normal humans are, it doesn't have uh, the soul that we were talking about. And because as Christians, we lay our lives down, we give our soul, we give our everything we got to God. And that's what protects us. He puts our, his hand of protection over us as we walk, as we breathe, as we live our lives. And the clone doesn't have that ability. And maybe that's why Satan's allowed to step in that vessel and walk and do all these things. And I don't know if, what you guys think on that, but I'm needing some clarification on that one. That's, that's all my mind can wrap around. Yeah, I think a great. Um, I think that that's true, but also I'd add to that we do see d demonic uh, possession throughout Scripture. I know, and uh, I think it's, um, and maybe John, maybe John six. I don't know. It's the demoniac, the Gerasene demoniac. Um, don't quote me on John six. This is in your Bible. Y'all can look it up. You know what I'm talking about. And so, um, but uh, where you have this man that's been possessed by a legion of demons, and he was not a clone. And so I think that, yeah, I mean. Satan, I think the point why Phil was kind of speculating that is because Satan does not have the power to resurrect. There's no, there's no inkling of, of assumption or connecting a dot that Satan can actually give life. Um, he is the, the, um, the father of lies. He is death and destruction. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy is what John 10, 10 says. And so that's why Phil's saying, well, I think it's going to be a clone because he doesn't have the power to raise this guy who's been assassinated back to life. And so he believes that they're going to have cloned him, uh, this guy's DNA, and then Satan will indwell this guy and actually be the, the manifestation, um, the icon of, um, of Satan, just like Christ was the, the image of the invisible God. Okay. So uh, we're, when you were speaking of image, it makes me think of a picture with technology being such as it is, is it possible that it could be like a hologram 
that we are being deceived by looking at an image that looks real. I mean, you can do it now when you Skype. Right. So. Yeah, I think anything's possible. Um, I think that, that sounds kind of Wizard of Oz-ish, you know. Um, but, and I think that we've seen, um, for, forgive this reference, but uh, the coolest um, hologram that I've seen done well was of Tupac Shakur. At a uh, at a rap concert, I think I just lost half the room. But anyway, uh, Tupac is a rap rap star that died in the '90s, supposedly. And anyway, they did a hologram of him in a concert recently. Um, it was pretty well done. Um, but but a hologram is it's still pretty unbelievable. Um, just to be honest with you, I think a clone is. That's why Phil, when he would even compare the clone versus the hologram, or even any other uh, manifestation that this could play out. He's going to go with the clone because it's tactile, it's touchable, it's you know it, it's it's so much more believable than a hologram because a hologram you know somebody would they would push their hand through the lights that that are forming that hologram. But it could happen. I, I mean that's a great speculation. Yeah, Pastor Phil uh, uh, said that basically uh, Revelation 17, 9 through 15, basically explained uh, Revelation 13. Could you kind of go through uh, 7 through 15? I mean, it talks about uh, the harlot, uh, the woman that sits on the mountains, but it also says there's seven mountains and seven kings in addition to the ten heads of ten kings. Yeah, that's a great, great question. And, and I would just say that um, you know, Pastor Phil says this, and this is a hermeneutical principle that Scripture interprets Scripture. And uh, so I love that we have a, a pastor that doesn't just say, you know, read a verse and say, let me tell you what I think about this. But he allows the Scripture to cross-reference itself. And, um, and so um, Blake is going to kind of walk you all through where, where we're at. So if, you're, if, if y'all didn't hear that clearly, Revelation 17, we're just going to unpack some of that and then cross-reference that with Revelation 13. Before you do that, the book of Revelation is not written chronologically, okay? And so don't think that it's a start to finish, uh, you know, in the beginning and then happily ever after. That's not how Revelation is written. Um, it's written um, kind of as it happens. So if you're AD, uh, ADHD, ADD in the house, this like should make sense to you. Um, how you can, you know, you can like have a conversation, stop that conversation, start doing something, come right back to the conversation, and then start having another conversation, take a phone call, text message somebody, and then go back to that conversation. Um, and so that's kind of how the book of Revelation works. It is, um, he, he's, so Revelation 13 and Revelation 17, even though there's a few chapters in between, doesn't mean that they're not, um, you know, in sync with each other. So go ahead. Yeah, so we'll start in verse, se- or before we start in verse 7, um, what we see here is all of a sudden this image of a harlot on a beast. Okay, and so we know that this, this harlot is Mystery Babylon, which is the spiritual religion of the time. And so then we'll go into verse 7. And he says, But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and the ten horns. So yeah, going back to um, Revelation 13, we would go, Okay, what is that beast? It's the same exact thing. That is also the same beast in Daniel 7. And so, as Phil said this morning, um, if you really want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand the book of Daniel. And so, that beast that we see here is also in more detail, but we'll, that can be another question. But the beast in verse 8, it says that you saw, was, and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to destruction or perdition. 
And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life, whom the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And so, as Phil talked about this morning, I believe, I, if I remember the term correctly, the turn, what really makes the, really the turn of the um, Antichrist is from the political leader to the worship to the, the God of that age is the, the resurrection, the healing from the fatal wound. And so what it's saying, and, and we see this several times in 13, and we see it here in 17, he goes from a political leader to an object of worship or God when he resurrects. And so that's what it says. That, and it says that those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life, and all throughout the book of Revelation, it tells us this, that there's the book of life, and what's really interesting is it talks about how all the names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And it talks about that those who accept Christ are those who are not crossed out of it. Okay, so and, I wanna, and I'd have to cross-reference that, but there's several times it defines how our names show up in the Lamb's book of life. And then verse 9, he says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven head are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Again, Phil talked about this morning with, if we say the Windy City, we all know it's Chicago. And to a first century people, um, especially if you remember John, he's on an island right off the coast of Italy. So for him to say, um, you know, the, the town on seven hills, they would have automatically have gone to Rome. Um, if you look at some of your commentaries, it will say Jerusalem. Um, and you could maybe argue that, but I, I don't think that it holds any water, especially um, when you look at the whole global scale and when we deal with prophecy and we're dealing with these beasts, it is always talking about Gentile kingdoms and not Israel. So there's the, the Rome. And so if it's built on Rome, if that's the idea that is coming here, verse 10, it says, There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. Now, this is another area that has a lot of controversy. Um, Phil uh, talked about, and I don't know if he went into much detail, because we had a conversation with him, and I don't know what was our conversation, what he hit this morning, but, and he'll probably hit this in a couple weeks, is that he believes that it's the Caesars, that there were five that have passed since Rome had become an empire, and that there was one that was current. And then that the future one, and it will say in verse 11, this beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. And so what this says here is this last king, he's number seven and number eight. Now there's a lot of Bible scholars who take a different view and they say that it's not kings, but it's kingdoms. And if you study prophecy when they view the kings and the kingdoms, they're kind, of, they're kind of dealt as both. They don't separate them. And so a lot of them believe that it's also, it's depicting the world kingdoms. So you'd be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medes and the Persian, the fifth, which was Greece. Then the sixth, which is, was Rome. The seven would be the revitalization of Rome. And then the eighth would be Rome under the new guy. Really, you can split hairs over this, but what you end up saying at the end is, is to revive Roman Empire. You get to the same place. Um, it is extremely important to understand that this, the Roman Empire will come back. It really never went away. 
It just went into religion as the Roman Catholic Church. And that's why Vatican, you can go to the embassy, it's its own country. So Rome has never really gone away. Now, you can also, if you really want to get into the details, it's amazing because in Daniel chapter 7, as it depicts these empires. Now again, when he's talking about these empires, in Daniel chapter 7, Egypt's not mentioned because Egypt's long gone. It just starts with Babylon. But as you study it, the ultimate um, in Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, it all ends with their destruction and God set up as his earthly kingdom, even in Daniel chapter 2. So as, as, as Phil said, it's a wooing because if we realize as we study scripture, it's not the, ri- the study of the rise of Satan's kingdom. It's actually the study of the rise of God's kingdom. And really, and if you read through 13, it says over and over again, it was allowed or it was permitted or it was given to him. I mean, God's sovereign hand is over all of this. Okay, so then verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Now, this is something that Phil was telling us that his mind has actually changed. Um, For a long time, especially when the EU um, happened, in fact, I was here when Phil preached this the first time, and the EU was this brand new thing, and all of the Bible scholars were like, here it is. Here's the ten kingdom. This is what's going on. Little did we know, 10, 15 years later, we're not really focusing on the EU anymore, and Brexit's a bigger big deal than that. We're focusing more on the, the Islamic nations and how there's turmoil and how there's moving. And, and really, ever since about five years ago, as that turmoil started spreading throughout the Europe world, most people always assumed it was a European thing because of Rome. But as we study, we know that Rome was not just Europe. In fact, if you think about it from John's perspective, they always viewed it from the Middle East. I mean, it, this is a Middle Eastern book and a Middle Eastern viewpoint. They would have always focused more on the Middle East than Europe. We view it from a 21st century mindset where we're all European and focused on what's happening there. And so what Phil says is it's a mixture, which what the Roman Empire was. And he even went and said, if, if you understand the the image in Daniel 2, where the two legs, the left and the right, and then you go to the two feet with the five toes and the five toes, that probably five will be from the Middle East and five from Europe. And so in verse, we'll finish this off. He says this in verse 13, These um, are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. And I love us. Why? For he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And the readers, especially the Jews, would have gone exactly back to Daniel 7. Because the Ancient of Days shows up when that last little horn shows up. And he's speaking all his blasphemies. The Ancient of Days judges him. And the Son of Man comes to his right hand bringing the faithful saints with him. That's the picture that we're just waiting to get into the kingdom to usher it in. And um, if you're writing notes down, if you care about this, I can just kind of give you all a few references out of Daniel. And so, um, man, bless John, the apostle John and the prophet Daniel's hearts uh, because they saw some weird, crazy stuff. And uh, and it's it's neat to see how uh, closely related uh, John's um, experience is with Daniel. 
And, uh, but let me just give you all a few uh, things to, to kind of coincide with Revelation 13 and here in Revelation 17. So Daniel 7, 8 and verse 20, um, it talks about how his eyes uh, are eyes of intelligence. This is, this is Daniel's way when he's talking about how his eyes are, are um, great, that they bespeak his intelligence is Daniel's way of saying that. Daniel 7, 8 and verse 20 that his mouth, uh, or he has a mouth that speaks great things. Not only will he be a super intellect, but he'll also be a great orator. Uh, Daniel eleven twenty one, uh, he says that he shall come peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flattery, which means he'll be a master politician, an intellectual genius, a great orator, a master politician. Daniel eight twenty five, and um, it says that, and the entire Revelation eighteen indicates that he'll be a commercial wizard. That he'll be able to literally create an economic community around the world that's breathtaking. So one world system of economy. And then Daniel 7, 23 uh, says that he worships the God of forces. And so he'll be a master genius in the military. And so uh, then you can, if you're, if you're writing this down, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. Uh, you know, he's called a man of sin, a son of perdition who opposes God and exalts himself and, and um, defames God. And so he'll be a religious, charismatic person. Um, not in the sense of a spiritual charismatic, but just got, has great charisma. And so those are some uh, things that will kind of give a, a physical definition to his ability. And so he's going to be a super, um, super human being, actually. Second uh, Thessalonians 2.4. Can we start over? <laughs> so Daniel chapter 7, verses 8 and 20. Daniel 11, verse 21. Daniel 8, verse 25. Daniel 7, verse 23. And just one verse left to finish your verse 15 of chapter 17. And this is what Phil talked about with the Antichrist. He says, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so um, what Phil was saying was that the Antichrist, is, it says that he rises out of the sea. And it also says that in Daniel chapter 7. And that is a reference to the fact that the Antichrist is a um, Gentile. He's not a, we refer to him, and the Bible refers to him as an Antichrist. It does not mean that the Jews worship him as their Messiah. Let me add something real quick to that, Blake. So um, I, this, the, John is the only author in the Scripture to use the word antichrist. It's only used four times in, in the whole Bible. Um, and so um, the other authors that spoke of this, um, you know, Paul, he speaks of the, uh, the man of perdition, the son of lawlessness. And then Jesus uses this word, um, I think the way you say it is pseudochristus. And it means a, um, and he uses that in Matthew 24. And he uh, talks about how there will be people who come, basically a, um, a pseudo-Christ. They'll come um, in the same way that Christ came. Um, they'll, you know, be a wonder uh, worker, a, a miracle worker. Um, they'll, you know, obviously they'll pull off a, a resurrection of sorts. And, um, and so he says to be careful about this. And so I think even when we talk about uh, this guy that comes in Revelation 17, he is not diabolically opposed to Christ in, in the beginning. 
And so he's not anti-Christ, I'm against Christ. He's actually like, hey, Christ is cool, and, and Buddha's cool too. And like, he's like very charismatic. We would all love this guy. We want to invite him to our Memorial Day barbecue. Um, I mean, we're, just gonna, we're really going to resonate with this guy um, at first. Um, but that's why, you know, the scripture says that we will be easily deceived. Um, and so you cannot trust, this is what Phil said this morning, you cannot trust what you see. you got to trust what God said. And, uh, and so it's very interesting uh, to note that, I think, that, um, that he's not diabolically opposed to Christ in the beginning. No, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. And so, with again, with genetic uh, mapping, um, I think that, and I think this is the way they did Dolly the lamb or the sheep, was that they did not raise her from uh, from a child all the way up. They were actually able just to clone her. Again, it's it's beyond my pay grade. I don't know how they do 3D printing right now. And so, you know, and, and that's amazing. And so, yeah, but but I I do know enough to know that. The, the cloning process is not from uh, conception, so to speak, all the way up. It, it actually can be done, you know, an, an exact DNA replication, even with the wear and tear uh, that they've experienced in their, in their body. Hi. I'm curious about, um, he was talking about how now he feels like it's going to be a combination of nations. And I'm curious about where Russia Egypt and Greece, Paul. So you're saying in reference to the Antichrist or to the end times? The ten kingdoms or the seven kingdoms. He had shifted from saying, you know, at one time he thought that was all going to be um, European nations. And now it's a conglomeration of, am I tracking that right? Yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll take a, an initial stab, and Blake, you can kind of uh, back me up here. So um, with the, uh, this um, Arab-Western uh, coalition that he's talking about, um, you know, one of the things that um, I think we even looked at that this morning in um, Revelation 13, uh, but they talked about how he was going to have an Assyrian nationality. And so I think that's, that in Assyrian, when the scripture is, is modern-day Syria, and so Blake was referencing earlier that we have a mass influx of Syrian refugees uh, through the port of Athens. Pastor Phil referenced that this morning as well, that Greece uh, is in economic turmoil, um, that, you know, we, <laughs> we look at some things, it's like things are all right in place for there to be a, an Assyrian, Greco-Assyrian um, figure rise up in that nation within maybe a, two generations or something. And so... Um, I think that that's how um, Greece, you know, and Greece would be referenced. Um, you know, Daniel refers to some Greek, uh, Greek excuse me, Greek um, rulers like we talked about this morning with um, Alexander the Great uh, being one of those those massive empires that he led um, that uh, we could um, we could allow to coincide with some of these kingdoms that are being talked about. Um, Egypt, I really don't know where Egypt plays in. Um, I think that Egypt would be a main contributor to, um, you know, because it's an Arab nation. 
um, that has both uh, a strong Islam influence and Coptic Christian influence. And so I think that, you know, you could see if, if Israel was able to unite and the temple was able to be uh, rebuilt adjacent to uh, the mosque um, that's there um, on, on the dome, I think the dome on the rock or something, um, that you would see a uniting of the Coptic church with the Islamic church in Egypt as well. Um, and then Russia, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation about Gog and Magog that Russia is a part of that. And, um, and you see some of the bedfellows that Russia has. And so I think that Russia will definitely be a participant. Um, I don't know into what level. Um, you know, I have no idea, but I don't think we can count Russia out uh, for sure. And so I don't, does that help at all? Blake, you want to add anything does that, to that? Does that help? I can add more, but okay. Um, so get, where Egypt entered the pictures is when I, when I brought it up was the seven ki- the kings. If the seven kings are seven kingdoms, then it was Egypt was bypassed by Assyria. Assyria was taken over by Babylon, then Greece, then Rome, um, and then what we have today or would be the revival of the Roman Empire. And so, but really for these ten kings, and as Phil was kind of just guesstimating what countries it would look like, um, in Revelation 13, when it talks about what this beast looks like, the Antichrist, so if you will, you can go back and, and turn with me. In verse 2, it says, Revelation 13, verse 2, it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. So this would have automatically have ring the bell in John's ear that he's going to, to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, um, he sees this vision. And, and it's this vision of a lion with eagle's wings. And God tells me, he says, that's Babylon. And so we know that um, this, this guy is a mixture of Babylon, which would be, um, if, I, if I believe right, modern day Iran, Iraq. Okay. And then it says after we have... Um, it, the, I would say the beast was like a leopard, that would be Greece. Okay, so, and, and, and Greece, and it, it, it pictured what these kingdoms would be described as. Greece um, took over the world at a rapid rate, just like a leopard runs. Okay, so the, the lion, um, and if you go back to Daniel ch- uh, 2, it says the Babylon was like gold. It was the most grandest of the empires because of its pure authority over the world. It didn't share it with anyone. Whatever Nebuchadnezzar wanted, that's what happened. And so this lion was Babylon. Greece was, le- was a leopard. The Medes and the Persians, which were known for their fierce military might, um, was, um, was a bear. And in fact, in Daniel chapter 7, it's really kind of cool. It pictures a bear with three ribs in his mouth, which we know Medes and the Persians took over three empires. We also know um, that it's leaning on one side, and that is also because um, the Medes and the Persians, the Persian was the more powerful of the two of the kingdoms. And so what Phil was saying is that if this is a mixture of these three, and if you notice, Rome isn't mentioned in its animal, because in Revelation, um, I'm sorry, in Daniel chapter 7, this is Rome. It's a conglomerate, and literally Rome took over all those empires. And so it's basically saying if you go from all the way from Spain almost to India, down into Africa, that is where Rome and all these kingdoms existed. So these ten nations will more than likely come from 
all those areas, not just what we think of as Europe. And um, Pastor Phil also referenced uh, the Assyrian-Russian relationship in the first installment of the series as well. And I can't remember to detail what he mentioned with that, but you may go back and listen to that first message. Um, it may shed some light on Russia's place. All right. Um, I was going to ask about um, Matthew 24 where it says, um, um, when you see the abomination of desolation seated on the throne, um, so they're talking about the Antichrist in the temple. So do you think that that is actually a temple? And do you think that that could be the, um, not necessarily the Jews temple, or that it could even be an Islam temple? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think it is, to answer your, initially your first question, I think it is a physical temple for sure. Um, and. Uh, that's why I even I loved Pastor Phil's speculation this morning that they'll um, build the um, the new temple, uh, the the Jewish temple adjacent to the um, the Islamic temple that's currently there. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, even a lot of interesting things about um, plans to rebuild the temple and how that's really an active movement right now. Pastor Phil he kind of brushed on that this morning. He didn't have time to go into that deeply. Um, but I think that what Jesus is talking about is a, a real Jewish temple, uh, not an Islamic mosque temple. Um, and I, I would, uh, I mean, you're talking about this person that's able to, to um, barter a peace treaty between Islam and, and Judaism or Christianity and Judaism, those three big religious systems that all kind of coalesce in the Middle East. The way I view it in my mind is like, that they would be adjacent buildings but connected, like with, with a, a hallway or a walkway or somehow it's one all under one roof. And you know, this guy's able to say, hey, we're all serving the same God here. Um, it's all the same deal. And, and then the Antichrist is able to move into power. The sacrifice, sacrificial system is, is reborn. It's a huge celebration of world peace and that sort of thing. And then this guy comes in. And, and I would, the way I see it is that he's able to rule from the Jewish temple but also um, fulfill the Islamic prophecies of their, their final imam. Yeah, oh yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Up until that point, because if you reference, he says, as Daniel has said. So Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. Which is a great, um, great, sorry to interrupt you, but a great thing for us to note that Jesus believes Daniel. Okay? I, yeah. I'm, I mean, that may, uh, probably, hope, hopefully most of y'all know that, but when Jesus endorses something, then it's true because he's kind of our hero. And, uh, and so he's affirming everything that Daniel said. So some people say prophecy is crazy, Daniel, that's crazy. But you say, hey man, Jesus, um, he, he quoted Daniel, he believed Daniel. And so I'm going to go with what Jesus said because he, he rose from the dead. So go ahead. Yeah, so verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 31, it says, And fortress shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. And so, as Phil has said this, and this is actually a prophecy um, kind of tool, is that prophecy is fulfilled literally, and it's a shadow of what is to come. And so this actually took place when Antiochus Epiphanes, and I probably butchered that, he actually did that, and Phil talked about that this morning, where he took the sow or the pig, and he sacrificed it and defiled the, the daily sacrifices. Now, we know 
That is not what Jesus is talking about. And there must be a final fulfillment because he says, when we see this happen, not when we saw this happen. So we know that it did happen. It's a proven fact. Right. But it was a picture to what's going to happen. And that's why I think it's also important when, when um, the, uh, and I think it's in Second John, when John talks about how there will be many, many antichrists, little a, before the capital A, antichrists. That you, you can you know, do a, a broad brushstroke throughout history and see lots of people who have opposed um, Christ and his movement. Um, you know, uh, this guy, Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphan, how would you say? Epiphanes. Yeah, Antiochus whatever. Epiphanes, whatever. Yeah. He's Greek, I'm his, not. His nickname was, was something else yeah. for maniac. Anyway, um, you, you see a guy like that who diabolically opposed the, word of, uh, the work of God. And he blasphemed the name of God. But any ruler who claimed to be God, Caesar, Pharaoh, any ruler who claimed to be God, um, they diabolically have opposed um, God and they've defamed him. And so we have all of these foreshadowing, just like Blake was saying, foreshadowing uh, taking place. And so Jesus is, I think, looking back at, at the destruction, the abomination of the temple that took place um, prior to his birth, actually, I think. So. Well, I've always studied and uh, and associated the bear as being with Russia. That's, you know, and, uh, you know, I can't put the, the bear, bear is with, needs in the Persians. With, with, with any other nation. It's always been associated as being Russian. I think in contemporary yeah. history it's been associated with Russia because Russia, you know, has been a nation within the last, I would think, um, you know, five to six hundred years. I'm not real sure how long, you know, when they got their start. Um, but I think within the biblical authors, they're looking at the Medo-Persian Empire uh, because that's more um, relevant to uh, the framework that they're working within. Um, but again, I think that Medo-Persian Empire, I mean, I, I don't know how far Russia's, you know, their, 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 their uh, country line, their borders go to, I was going to say state line, but it's not a state. Um, their borders go to. And so I don't know if we could um, allow Russia, if we could contemporize the bear, the Medo-Persians. I don't think that we can. Um, if we look at Medo-Persian empires and try to say, hey, that's, that's speaking of Russia. Um, but that would be my, my uh, I guess, my stab at that question, why we don't allow the bear to be Russia, because Russia is relatively a new nation on, on the scope of history. And the other way we could also do it, as Phil said, we, we take Scripture with Scripture. So Daniel 7... We've got the lion that's taken by the bear. The bear is taken by the leopard. And we know the leopard is Greece. We know that the, the lion was Babylon. Then you go into Daniel chapter 8, and it talks about um, these, this, this um, sorry, a sheep with two horns. And it literally calls this sheep, and it says it's the Medes and the Persians. And then it says, a ram comes who is running so fast that his feet actually doesn't touch the ground and pummels it and kills it, and that is Greece. And it says, it is Greece. And then it talks about how it's a one ruler who dies and four people take his place, which we know in history that is no other than Alexander the Great in Greece. And so we know if we just put these two kingdoms together and then we insert Daniel chapter 2, and it lists these kingdoms, and we know that the Medes and the Persians took over Babylon. When you put those three things together, 
it kind of shoots it. It's got to be the Medes and the Persians. And, and I don't think we've ever seen a Russia as strong as the Persian Empire. I don't think that, you know, and so again, that, that image of the bear, you know, and it speaks to the strength when Daniel's using that. I just don't think that, you know, I don't think that we owe Russia that, uh, that compliment, so to speak. So, um, you, uh, Pastor Phil talked about, you know, Satan being the father of lies, and um, he's used uh, uh, Second Thessalonians also as an explanation scripture for uh, 13. Uh, in in Second uh, Thessalonians two eleven, it talks about those that don't love the truth. Uh, God will send them strong delusion, and that they might believe the lie. Is there a lie? Uh, I mean, I realize there's many lies, but is there a lie it's referring to? And are we already under uh, the strong delusion uh, as we can't tell the difference between right and wrong? Uh, yes. Yes, I, I would. Yeah, so, um, so the, uh, the best way I could answer this question is just to take us back to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we, we see, a, you know, kind of the origin of, uh, of sin. Not kind of, we do see the origin of sin with, um, with, Le with Eve being deceived. And uh, obviously, you know, Satan, the serpent, more cunning than any other animals, calling into question what God actually said. Um, and we, you see a minimization of God's word. You see a minimization of his judgment. Um, and then you also see um, a maximization of, um, of what God actually had said. And so you see the truth distorted about God's character and the truth distorted about, um, about what he actually mandated. And so I think that even when you go back to Genesis 3, you don't, you, you don't really see, you see one lie, but you see it multifaceted, I guess. And so... Um, and then I think that um, w once we see what happens with Eve, um, there's this beautiful um, promise. It's called the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelion, that takes place in Genesis 3.15. It says that and it's when God is talking about the, the promise uh, that, will ha that will come, even though um, there's a curse that's being pronounced, that, the, um, that there will be somebody born of, of Eve or of the woman, and uh, the serpent will strike his heel uh, um, but he will crush his head, you know. He'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush his head. And so I think that, that the lie that we um, really wrestle with is, um, and, and we'll get to this here in just a second, is um, Christ, is he victorious? Is, is he the one that is, that is the grand champion of the universe? Is he really the one that is going to crush the serpent's head? Um, and, and is he the one that we can place our hope in? Um, is he the one that really, you know, uh, has our best interest in mind? And I think that we're all being deceived along those lines that, you know, you can't trust God or his judgment ain't going to be that strong or, um, or, you know, you need to add all these extra biblical rules to your life. And, and you know, and I, so I think there's all that taking place. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but I think that if we can go back to Genesis 3, see the, the origin of sin, the fall of man, then that will really shed a lot of light on onto our lives currently, and and I'm gonna I'll finish up the last probably five minutes kind of talking about a real practical truth in regards to that. But yes, right, yeah. So I mean, pride and and idolatry would be the probably the root of every sort of evil, and pride is what you're referring to. Yeah, you can be like God if you eat of this. Yeah, that's the line. That's big time. 
And, yeah. and I think a good cross-reference for that is Chad's hit this a couple times of 1 John 2, um, verse 18 and in verse 22. In verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which, by which we know that it is the last hour. Now jump up to verse 22. It says this, and I think this is interesting. So the lie, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, the sent one from God, the anointed one. And Phil hit on this when he talked about um, Lucifer was the anointed, the Messiah cherub. And by pride, that was, he was lifted up and he looked at God's throne and he says, I want that one. And literally in that, he's denying who God is. And then, like he said with Eve, you can be like God. And then it says, it's amazing. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So if you, don't, if you think you're bigger than the Father and the Son, you're in that. So I think that's, that would be the lie. Um, do you have any any thought about uh, our country not being here when Revelation, when all this comes about? Yeah, uh, America's not in the Bible. And so, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that um, oftentimes we get associated with kind of like with God's like promised land. And, uh, and I love America, and I, I love our nation. I love everything that it has, you know, it stands for, um, for the most part. And um, anyway, so I would, I would just kind of, I wouldn't try to infuse America into the scripture. Um, I would just make sure you're right with the Lord. So whenever, you know, you, you're going to be all right, you know what I'm saying? So that's all I can promise you on that. That's, um, so my question was the four beasts in Daniel 7. Um, the lion, it says, the eagle's wings were plucked thereof. I've heard a theory that that's America leaving England, which is the lion, and then the bear being Russia. Is it possible that all ten nations are described here, five of them being in media Persia like the Arab nations, and the other five being the modern European nations like England and Russia and Germany and France and uh, Rome? So that's kind of two questions. Um, so I'll answer the second one first. I I think, um, you know, when we refer to the West, and if, you, and if you talk to most of the world, the West is not America and South America. The West is Europe and America. It's all of us. Canada, all of us. So, yeah, I think we could be one of the ten. I don't think it, it doesn't have to be. I think we're Gentiles. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It has, it's a Gentile. Um, now, I would probably say it's not part of the, the Roman Empire. We, um, so, that would probably be where we're not part of it. Now, when you say the eagle's wings, and that was America breaking off from England, um, I would say that it is actually a picture of um, Nebuchadnezzar losing his saneness because it says that when the wings are plucked off, he stands up like a man and has a mi uh, mind of a man. And in the chapter right before it, I'm sorry, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar lifts up his head, and he actually becomes a beast and loses his mind. So it's probably a better reference to go to that. Um, because then if it's America, then you're just going all throughout, like you're going back to Greece and then you're going to America and then you're going back. I mean, you would be jumping all over and not going in a linear order, which Daniel 2, they're all in order. Daniel 7, they all came in order. Um, Daniel 8, it all came in order. So it'd be kind of a, a departure from that order. Yeah. And again, I would say America's, we are, we're an infant nation, you know, and so to try to infuse 
America into the story of Scripture that, you know, Daniel writing, I just don't know that that's a, a, a great handling of, yeah. of history in regards to Scripture. Yeah, like when you go to the Middle East, 300 years, that's recent history. That's early history. I mean, that's nothing. To them, I mean, they're thinking 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years, not three, 400. So I th it's time for you to... Yeah, well, um, so I just ship. wanted to, to finish up by saying, um, you know, when we read some of these things, I think that, um, I think that it be can become very, very scary. It can be, be seen very far-fetched. And, uh, and one of the things that I think is very interesting, and if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to uh, the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And um, I, th I think that it can be very scary when we look at the Antichrist and we look at how powerful he's going to be and we look at all the things that, um, that, that he's going to be able to accomplish. And I think for, for part of it, we say, man, that's far-fetched, but uh, there have been several Antichrists, and I just want to refer you guys to, uh, to one probably that y'all have all heard of, a guy that was able really to do a miraculous thing. Um, he was able to deceive an entire nation of intellectual people. Uh, in the West, he was able to deceive that entire nation uh, to believe a lie, and uh, and then they compromised their morals, and which was their legacy that they had inherited. And you guys probably know who I'm talking about, um, but a guy named Adolf Hitler. Um, and there was a book written called The Morning of the Magicians, um, and this author presents the cases uh, regarding Hitler that were uh, done after they studied the manuscripts and the, uh, the Nuremberg trials. And uh, they began to look at what Hitler was able to do and, uh, and they talked about how he was, he was a magician of sorts, that he was able to get the puzzle pieces in the right place, um, and he was able to sell this idea of Nazism uh, to people that were very spiritual in nature. Uh, the Germans, I don't know if y'all know much about their history, uh, but the Reformation, which we are a byproduct of in our church today, it started in Germany. Um, if you study uh, theology at a, at a doctoral level, you have to learn uh, these three languages. You have to learn Koinonia Greek, you have to learn Hebrew, and you have to learn German because there's more theological uh, writings in German than any other language um, that have contributed to Protestantism. And, and then you also see that Germany is, is still continued to be one of those nations that's like amazing in their ability to um, impact the world intellectually. But Hitler was able to move in. He was able to, to deceive them. And uh, he was able to, to allow them to be bought into a lie. And the more you study about Hitler, you find out that he was a sorcerer of some sorts, that he was very interest, interested in um, this uh, Buddhist black sorcery. From, like, so he had these Tib Tibetan people come in. I mean, it's just some crazy things. When you look at the darkness uh, that Hitler bought into, and I believe that he believed that he was in some sorts um, an antichrist and demonically possessed. But I think that when we look at how strong the opponent and the adversary can be, man, we've got to uh, take uh, hope in Christ. And so Colossians 1, verses 15, I love this. I'm going to read it with a little bit of uh, excitement. It says, He is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. I'll add in there the Antichrist, his daddy, his mama, his clone, doctor, whoever. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in 
that in all things he may have preeminence or he may have authority, that we have a God that is a conqueror. And I love that the, that the story in Revelation verses, uh, in chapter 13, or 17, um, it talks about this bad mamma jamma called the Antichrist that's going to come. He's going to rain down all this deception and, and all. He's going to be this bad dude. And then it just says simply in verse 17, um, excuse me. I think I need to be in Revelation 13. No, no, excuse me, verse 14 says, They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So John does this vivid depiction laying out this amazing Antichrist figure, and then he just simply says, yeah, he loses. And I think this is so important for us to allow our hope uh, to rise, and not, not that we put faith in our fear or faith in some demonic power, but we put our faith in a God who in simply in one verse, it just says, yeah, he, over, he overcame, no big deal. And then we've got to allow this to uh, permeate our lives today. And I love my brother asking this question, are we in a, in a season of delusion in our day today? And I believe that we are. And that we would do well to ask tonight, we would ask, that's the psalmist asked, search me, O God, and know my heart, test my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be uh, categorized with those who oppose Christ. I want to be about his kingdom and about making disciples. And I know that you're at a church that is about that life. And so we want to be about that too. And so I'm going to pray for us and encourage you guys um, just to continue to dive into God's word. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. Let me pray and we'll get out of here. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done in my life and in Blake's life. God, that we could stand up here and, and be able to field these questions. Who are we? We are the foolish things of this world, and you're using them uh, to proclaim your wisdom. And God, I just thank you for that. God, I thank you that you have overcome, that you are the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, and that in you we do, we do have a hope that is alive. And so, God, I pray that we would leave here not, not terrified, but we would leave here terrifically focused on the majesty and the authority and the, the awesomeness of who you are. And so, God, I pray that you would also allow us to have clarity, that you would be able to speak the truth, and that we would be able to name the lies that are deceiving us. God, that you would not allow the Antichrist or the prince of the power of the darkness of this air to have, to have his place in our life. But, God, you allow us to walk in clarity and in truth so that we would be an effective church, that we would be a bride being made beautiful for your glory. And, God, I ask that you would teach us and that you would shape us and that you would strengthen us. For your kingdom, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys are dismissed. Y'all have a great day.